Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey folks, Zach Gosman here, IU Insider, Indianapolis Star, uh, back from my COVID pause. In fact, I think Dustin, the last time we did one of these, at least one of us had COVID. I don't think you did. Um, it was you. I haven't had it yet. You I, lucky, I have dog. To you lucky dog, you. Uh, yep, so far. It wasn't, it wasn't, you know, it was about 24 hours of, of pretty, feeling pretty rotten. And then after that, it was about three days of a head cold. You know, this third arm is pretty useful. So, um, especially since it's growing out of my back. Um, this is Mind Your Banners for July 20th, 2022. And Dustin, we are less than a week away now, officially from Indiana's turn at Big Ten Football Media Days. The annual what I joke with my wife is essentially sort of the annual end of summer because it it feels like it, the big 10 calls it the kickoff luncheon um, or at least has in the past. It, and to me, it feels like basically the closing of the door on being able to make any plans for the next eight to nine months. We've not talked a lot about football um, in part because quite frankly, football has kept awfully quiet in the, the, the spring, but certainly the summer months, I think, in fact, I think I know, I shouldn't say I think I know, I know that's been by design. Um, I find IU football quietly fascinating, at least at this point in the season or at this point in the calendar. One, because when people ask me what to expect of IU this season, I genuinely don't know what to tell them. Um, and I get a lot of fans who say, well, oh, we're, we're going to stink, aren't we? It's like, I really don't know. I would err on the side of pessimism because they were two and 10 last year. And most of the time, not always, but most of the time teams undergo the sort of off season, you know, sort of change and, and flux that Indiana had to deal with this off season. They don't emerge for the better. Um, but I've seen virtually none of them. And so I don't feel like I can make an educated sort of statement on what 2022 holds for IU football yet in any direction. And the other piece of what I find fascinating, and we don't have to dig too much into the schedule today, but it feels like we're going to know really fast because it's Illinois, Idaho, Western Kentucky, at Cincinnati, at Nebraska. It's a very backloaded schedule. Indiana's got to come out of those first five games with a winning record if they want any shot at a bowl game, I think, this season. And so it's this weird thing where – Today on July 20th, I don't feel like I have a firm sense of what Indiana is going to be this year in any case. But I also believe that in about eight weeks, nine weeks, we will have that. And so it will happen very quickly. Yeah, no, 100%. And obviously the the tough part about that is there's just so much that they have to, um, you know, sort of piece together between now and then. I mean, obviously they've had – 
you know, the, the last several months since everybody got on to campus in January, once they had everybody, uh, you know, all, all, you know, most of the transfers, at least that they were going to get for this season uh, on campus. And obviously they, they got some more uh, true freshmen that showed up in the summer, but you have to presume that, that what was there in the spring is mostly what they're going to be dealing with. Um, but all the same, you, you are, they have to figure out a quarterback between Jack Tuttle and, and uh, Connor, ba- Connor Bazelak. Um, uh, figure out a running back, Sean Shivers, Josh Henderson, Jalen Lucas, whoever else figures in that mix, got to figure out a group of wide receivers, figure out what the offensive line looks like, figure out what most of the defense looks like. Obviously, you know that a lot of the guys in the back end, Taiwan Mullen, Jalen Williams, Devon Matthews, but uh, and Cam Jones, and linebacker, uh, Shivers, right? My bad. Um, point of the matter, there's a lot. Um, there's a lot that they're going to have to get accomplished in terms of just, just piecing this team together. And then it will be immediately, uh, you know, tested. They'll, they'll play basically the games that they need to win right away. Um, and you know, yeah, like you said, I mean, the, the, the die could pretty much be cast by, you know, October 8th. Uh, and, and then that's when you get into, you know, the Michigans, uh, and, and, and teams like that. And obviously you have Ohio state and Michigan state on the back end, uh, on the far back end in November, you know, with Purdue at the end. Uh, but, Sure. No, I mean, it is a situation where they're going to have to get together pretty quickly. And we don't know at all what this team is going to look like. Um, you know, again, like you said, you, you, you have a sense that usually if you're two and 10 and you start over, uh, you're probably, if you're going to get better, you're, you're only going to get so much better. And, and, you know, there's still a situation where, you know, Michigan goes in is probably going to go this season as a top 10 team. Ohio state is going to go into the season as a top five team. Uh, Penn state and Michigan state are still there. Those guys are all on the schedule. Uh, so I think they get a lot better. The ceiling does yeah, not I mean, seem it, high to start with. The issue is that, you know, and, and obviously this is where I think partly where IU fans disappointment from 2021 lies is you're once again in a place where if you're Indiana, those schools aren't really your business. Like, like Ohio state's not your business. Michigan's not your business. If, if, if you, if you come around to upsetting Michigan at home and going nine and three bully for you, but like right now here today, they're not your concern, but what's difficult for me. And this is something I, I saw, I think Andy Staples, um, made this point somewhere. And I just, I saw him tweet about it. And I, I think the, the, he made the wider point somewhere else. Um, but he he essentially said that he feels like there's more uncertainty going into this season than there's ever been. One, because there's been so much roster turnover that it's been almost impossible to keep track of all of it because of transfers and things like that. And two, because it's been such a busy offseason in terms of actual news with things like playoff expansion, conference realignment, you know, Big Ten media rights deal, you know, kind of being this 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 big sort of colossus looming out in the distance that, that I think every college yeah. college athletics is looking at. That we haven't spent all of this time overanalyzing depth charts and two deeps and position battles and whatever else. Part of the reason I feel like I can't give you a a a good I'm trying to think of the best way to say this. Like the reason that I feel like I can't give anybody a really good handicapping of what Indiana is going to look like this season is not just because they're going to have a new starting, you know, from where they were on an ideal 11 last year, probably a new starting quarterback, running back, at least two new receivers, two new tight end, a couple new offensive linemen, at least one new linebacker, you know, a, a couple new DBs, all that. It's not just that. 
it's that number one, we did not get to see these guys at all in the spring. And again, that that's very unusual for Indiana. Indiana has never shut down spring access like that as long as I've been around. And I think it was by design. It was, it was to keep prying eyes out, not necessarily us, but you know, if you think for one minute, Jim Harbaugh doesn't pay people to, to troll, you know, media websites looking for practice footage just to get it, start making notes about formations, start making notes about, you know, position changes, stuff like Donovan McCulley moving to wide receiver. It's not just that. It's that normally when a team would go two and 10 or whatever, when a team would have a poor season and someone would say, well, what do you expect next season? Even if they change coordinators, had some new position coaches, whatever, you'd have a decent sense of, well, yeah, but we've seen this guy before. We've seen this guy before, you know, we know by and large with maybe a couple exceptions, because you get the occasional transfer or Juco or high impact freshman, we would know who most of these people were that were going to be stepping into bigger roles right now. I mean, we just, we don't like, we just, I mean, like I, I can make you a credible case right now that Indiana is going to have a starting quarterback who was playing at Missouri last year. Indiana's going to have starting running back who was playing at Auburn last year or UNC, one of the two. Indiana's going to have starting wide receivers, one of whom was a quarterback last season, the other of whom was playing at UNC or maybe at a JUCO. Um, you know, I think we, we did see flashes from A.J. Barner last season. And, and in his defense, it seemed like coaches had higher hopes for him, but that's the sort of position that's affected by everything else that goes on around it. So, like, if the rest of the offense is struggling, the tight end doesn't always shine through. And he was obviously also splitting snaps with Peyton Hendershot. The turnover is not quite as pronounced on defense, but you're still talking about needing to replace Michael McFadden. You're still talking about, you know, looking for more adequate defensive line play. And we've seen a lot of new faces there between freshmen and transfers. The point is, it's it's not just that I can look at it and say, well, yeah, a team that goes two and 10 and then makes a bunch of staff changes usually doesn't just snap its fingers and get better, especially a team, a program like Indiana that historically kind of has to fight harder to get up the hill to begin with. The reason why there's there's uncertainty in my mind is because like I've never seen half these guys in an Indiana uniform. Like I think that I think that game one against Illinois, we're going to watch genuinely 25 plus players make their Indiana debut. And having never seen any of those guys on grass in an IU practice or game uniform, I, I just don't like I, I don't feel like I can even give you a, a you know, a reasonably educated guess about how, how all that is going to work. Yeah, I can't now. Hopefully we're going to get some practice access in, in, in fall camp and we'll have at least one some can dream. Idea. What's that? One can dream, one can hope. I mean, I, again, I get why they didn't do it. I get there was, you know, the combination of, uh, you know, having new coordinators, not wanting to have a game where they put everybody on, you know, feeling like, uh, you know, they're, they're, we were still sort of, you know, in March sort of getting out of, um, we're just reaching the point basically where we were stopping the masks as far as COVID was concerned. Uh, and I'm sure they still didn't want to, us around uh, to even take any chances as far as that that's concerned. Um, so I, I get all the reasons and we, we should see some things at fall camp that will give us a sense. But yeah, I mean, we were going off of in the spring what people were telling us. And I think that that was valuable. I mean, I, they, they didn't, uh, they, they, I would say the assistant coaches that we talked to were pretty 
effusive and uh, willing to describe uh, what they were seeing from the guys that they liked. Uh, they didn't have a problem saying, hey, I, you know, uh, Casey Teagarden just, you know, really laid it on thick as far as how much he likes Miles Jackson. He's basically saying this is everything I have ever wanted um, in, in a bowl like this. This we, we, we made the bowl for guys who would look like this and do this. So this is exactly what I want. Um, and there were, I think, a couple other examples of that. I mean, they love Cam Camper. Uh, they like Emory Simmons. They really like what Sean Shivers, Sean Shivers. I'm getting it right. Did I got it right that time? Shivers. Okay. All right. Um, so, you know, they, they were pretty effusive about some of that. I think, um, you know, so for, for a lot of that, but again, I mean, we, you know, they, they did not tell us during that whole spring period that Donovan McCauley was playing spring, play, playing wide receiver. That was kept quiet entirely uh, for the entirety of spring practice. And so they didn't put that out there. Um, and, you know, uh, we, we, we can piece things together based on what people were telling us. And then you can, kind of extract and say, okay, well, if they're really good there, maybe that makes a difference. If they're really good at this position, if they really feel good about, you know, the two linebackers they got, Jared Casey and Bradley Jennings, you know, maybe there's not going to be a big fall off um, from Micah McFadden, you know, okay, you know, and, and throw Cam Jones in there and you're okay. You know, the, talking about some of the other guys they like in the secondary, um, you, you could say, all right, well, well they, they might be good in this spots, but it's really just based on what we're being told, not on, on what we're seeing. And then just, again, hopefully from our perspective, uh, as far and as far as being able to talk about it with fans, we'll be able to see that uh, in August and get at least some sense of, of what these guys are going to look like. Yeah. I mean, like I, it's, it's hard to, I mean, we can talk about position battles, you know, but. And we're probably hard should. To, it what? And we probably should. But like, yeah. I, I just, I really need to see them first. Like I've, I mean, the two players that I would list as your most likely starting running backs are both transfers. You know, I, I, I grew up in an Auburn family. So like I, I have maintained, I don't want to, I'm not interested in Auburn football, but like I watch Auburn football so I can talk to my, my stepmother about it and, and, you know, my dad about it and all that. So I can tell you that like one time Sean Shivers ran over a defensive back and popped his helmet off. But like, I can't tell, I, I, I have not charted all however many number of carries and touches Sean Shivers got at Auburn. And by the way, that's probably a very different offense considering most of it was Gus Malzahn based than what you're going to see Indiana run this season. Cause Malzahn's offense is for better or worse, pretty specific to him in a lot of ways. Anyway, my point is like, we can talk about position battles, but like, I mean, like, okay, a good example is wide receiver. Where do you want to start? I mean, like, like you, you, you mentioned Cam Camper. There clearly is a lot of sort of optimism for him. There's obviously a lot of optimism. You and I were in the room with Tom Allen when he was talking about the whole Donovan McCulley position move, and that was something they kind of wanted to, to, to keep under wraps for a while, and we're, we don't need to go into how all the sausage is made. But, yeah, sure, like, in theory, Donovan McCulley looks like a great wide receiver. He's six foot five. He's – Chiseled, he's, he's incredibly athletic. If you watch him play quarterback, he has wonderful instincts and obviously a quarterback's understanding of, of football. But, like, I've never seen him catch a pass. I, I mean, I, I can't I can't have a conversation about position battles when I've never seen most of these guys. And that's where this – that's that is what's sort of fascinating to me about all of this. And I, I liked the way Andy talked about it in, in that tweet was, like, so much has changed that we can't really even sort of reliably say with a lot of teams, well, you know, this guy's this and this guy's this and, and so on and so forth. Like, and especially in a place like Indiana, which I think by choice, really, you and I've talked about this before, but I think by choice really embrace the idea of some change. 
and embrace the idea of, you know, that was the end of a cycle. Not that we're just going to, you know, throw everybody out, throw the baby out with the bathwater to prove that we're moving on from 2020 or 2019 or whatever. But that was the end of a cycle. And now we're going to bring in a lot of new faces with new ideas and fresh ambitions and, and all those different kinds of things. There's just, there is so much newness that it's, it's very hard to just kind of, I mean, to, it's, it's like being dropped in a pitch black room and having somebody say, okay, tell me where the door is. Like, I don't really have a sense for where it, is at the moment and you know I, I do think we will get to see them some in the fall and so then when we do when they have these conversations in three weeks four weeks we probably will be able to say these are the guys that are standing out these are the guys that are getting the most number one reps and all that and there's some little bits and pieces you know Tom Allen has sort of said in his mind it's it's kind of John, Jack Tuttle and Connor Bazelak at the front of the quarterback competition right now Dexter Williams you'd imagine in behind that um, you've obviously got a freshman, but a, a freshman that's only been on campus a couple months, and then Donovan McCullough's moved to wide receiver. So we can we can handicap that a little bit. But you also get the sense a little bit too, and this is gonna get maybe you know, this is gonna risk getting too philosophical. Um you also get the sense a little bit too that spring wasn't just about kind of keeping us out so that people weren't getting a look at what they were trying to do but also maybe a recognition that for everybody around this time last year, the, the volume got turned up a little too much. And, and maybe it didn't, you know, maybe it, it, maybe it made some guys fat headed or distracted some guys, but maybe just in general, it, it made the whole process unnecessarily loud. And I think spring was about turning that volume down a little bit too. And just saying, you know, we're, we're not going to stand up and talk about how much better we're going to be. We're not going to have these big, you know, rah-rah huddles at practices in front of the media that are going to talk about how much better we're going to be. We're just going to go, we're going to go work and we're going to work our way out of this problem um, or out of this, out of this hole we've dug for ourselves. But, um, you know, trying to handicap where Indiana, Indiana is coming out of that with anything other than basically just the, the, you know, taking these secondhand observations of coaches and players at, at face value, which is always a little difficult because everybody wants, you know, nobody ever lost a spring practice or a signing day or whatever. You know, it, it's it's hard to kind of get your, like I said, it's hard to get your bearings a little bit. Yeah, it is. And I guess that's probably the most, I guess, important uh, observation that we could probably pass along is just the extent to which that this spring um, uh, and and basically just everything since the end of the end of last season was about hitting reset for these guys and just sort of starting over and saying, okay, like we got it. We got to put 2021 away. We, we've got to take the lessons from it and apply them. Um, but the, the, the only way of, of not feeling like the sky is falling is to just feel like we're starting over uh, and that, that we're, we're back to the beginning. And so that that's meant a lot of things. I think, you know, obviously bringing in all the new faces, putting some of those new faces in leadership roles um, in particular, I, I think has been interesting. Obviously, you know, Bazelak gets to get some level of that, you know, although Tuttle is also in a sort of leadership position. I think, you know, Tom Allen is looking for that for both of those guys. 
Um, you know, Miles Jackson was a guy who they had talking a lot, uh, who, who they sort of were making a point to make sure that he was, uh, the, the guys were listening to him. He's got a, a really good sort of leadership affect, if you will. Um, but, but overall, it's just, it, 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 they, Tom Allen talked a lot about accountability uh, when we met up, up with him in May. Um, and I think that was a big piece of it because I think a lot of guys saw, um, you know, guys getting too big of heads, guys, you know, especially when things, you know, went in a bad direction, sort of shutting down um, and just sort of recognize that there has to be a, a new way of there. There just has to be an entirely new vibe uh, around the program, basically, that, that it's it's going to be different because no one's going to expect anything out of this group at all. Um, so they're not going to be facing the same questions of, well, how do you, you know, uh, follow what you did in 2020, all that kind of thing. Um, how are you going to deal with the expectations of being a top 25 program for the first time in 50 years? You know, there's not going to be anything like that, but, but all the same, I think there's a lot of saying, saying, okay, this is a new start. It also means that there's only so much deference for veterans now for guys that have been around. Um, basically maybe there was a feeling that there was too much of that, uh, last year, basically that, that too many guys who have been around, uh, for so long, were sort of allowed to get away with things. Um, and basically maybe weren't held to account if they were slipping um, and basically saying that that's not going to be the case again. But uh, everything, I mean, if, if, if that's the most important thing we could say is that, that that is what the vibe is internally at this point is just a, a desire to start over um, a, des a desire to feel like, okay, like they're obviously going to face questions about 2021 and what went, went, went wrong, but in some cases, because the guys weren't there or weren't in big positions, there's only so much they have to answer in the first place. Um, but just this whole, that is the entire feeling they're going for is that uh, 2022 is a reset. Um, you know, new coaches, new players, new season, starting over, just trying not to carry everything that went wrong in 2021, the end of 2022. I think, I think reset is a good word. And, and I'll, I'll use a comparison that I've used before. And I think it's, it's very valid as Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern. His first two seasons, he goes 10 and 14, no bowl games. The next, uh, the next five seasons, uh, they go, I'm, I'll do the math here very quickly, 17, 24, 30, 40, and 24, and they go to five straight bowl games. The two years after that, they're five and seven, five and seven. One of those two years, they're one and seven in the conference, so they're five and seven, but not at all competitive in the Big Ten. Then they go to four straight bowl games. Then they go three and nine. Then they win the West. Obviously, last year, they, they kind of took a step back again, but the point is, you know, schools like Ohio State, Michigan, et cetera, are are allowed to think of, of you know, off seasons as, as times to reload more than rebuild. Schools like Indiana, like, uh, frankly, I would suggest Purdue, Northwestern, obviously your Maryland's, your Rutgers is often it's much more about thinking in cycles and recognizing that, that you know, you've hit kind of a, a vein of, of talent plus coaching plus whatever development here, this works. You ride it for a while. Eventually, it gets dismantled because guys graduate. They go to the NFL. Coaches get hired by bigger programs. Whatever happens, and then you have to reset. Um, the system shock, I think, for Indiana, obviously, was that last year it felt like they had a chance to extend that cycle one more year than they should have because of the COVID year because people got the COVID year. So you got Ty Freifogel back and, and you got, I mean, people got the COVID year and then also players, I think wanted some players wanted to like a, a player like Peyton Hendershot. I wouldn't be surprised if he would have looked at you and said, you know, I recognize that my NFL outlook is, is 
just kind of is what it is. I'm going to be in the late rounds. I might get drafted. I might get an, un, you know, an undrafted opportunity, et cetera. But I really wanted a year in front of fans after the, after the, the brilliant year we had with no fans. Um, and for it to, to fall so flat, I think was, was really the, the disappointing thing. As I, I said to Doug Lesmarisis when I was on uh, cleveland.com's podcast last week, um, Indiana fans are used to being disappointed, but not like that. And that was, that was what hit and what hurt. But I think that we are watching Indiana. I think the word, I think you using the word reset is a good one. And that process should be normal for programs like this, but it's the first time Tom Allen's had to do it. He kind of had to do it a little bit. If you really go back and contextualize his first two years, the roster he was handed in his first season was incredibly top heavy with, with seniors and players he'd only get for one year. Kevin Wilson had missed too much on a couple of the recruiting classes just immediately preceding his two bowl games. So Allen was, was kind of cycling Indiana a little bit through some roster, you know, some roster transition in his first two seasons. But it's hard sometimes to separate that from the transition of, of coaching staffs and, and a, a roster built for what Kevin Wilson wanted to do versus a roster built for what Tom Allen wanted to do. Undeniably, 1920-21 was kind of, you know, th- that was the, the, the full sort of maturation of that first cycle. If Indiana had only gone like six and six or even five and seven last year, I, I don't know that there would be such – you know, such widespread sort of pessimism as much as there would be maybe an acceptance that this is just that reset period for Indiana. Um, But now you've kind of got to do it with a little bit more pressure on your back because I I don't think Tom Allen's under, you know, is on the hot seat by any means this season at all. But, you know, the, the, you got fans hopes up higher, which meant that when they fell, it hurt more and they're going to be less, willing to trust you again it's gonna be harder to win that trust back how does indiana spin that you know how does indiana handle that essentially and and i don't know how much they think about it and maybe they don't um you know in my experience players coaches think about that stuff more than they let on they also think about it less than fans think um but this really is i think the resetting and, and kind of the test for tom allen now is if you're going to do good, if you're going to do well in a job like this, you've got to be able to handle these, these resets because they happen every few years. You, 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 you know, even when we look from afar at a Northwestern, even in Iowa, I mean, Iowa's had these under Kirk Ferentz where just there'll be a year or two where they go five and seven, four and eight. People will start to say, is the game passing Kirk Ferentz by? Is Iowa too outdated? Do they need to, do they need something new and fresh? And then Ferentz pops up and goes, you know, nine wins, 10 wins, nine wins. And it's like, nope, Iowa's Iowa again. It's fine. Most programs hit these dips. And programs like Indiana are more susceptible than most. The question is, and the test for Tom Allen, and I know we've talked about this in different ways this offseason, but the test for Tom Allen as we get ready to really gear this season up or watch the season gear up itself is, you know, can he do it? Is he, he was the coach that was built for building that first cycle. Is he the coach that's built for coming down off that first cycle and building another one in a way that wins his fans trust back while also winning enough games to be competitive? Yeah, no, exactly. I agree on all those points. Obviously the biggest thing this year, if, if they had been good last year, 
you know, I, I think you, you would have, if you were just watching the cycle and the ebb and flow and everything, you would have pegged this year as a down cycle season. You would have said, okay, you know, like 2021, they're going to lose a bunch of these guys. Like, you know, they're, they're getting a bunch of them for one more year. They should have a really good year in 21. And, you know, then they'll lose a bunch of those guys. Um, so 2022 is going to be rough, but they'll have built up enough goodwill that, it's kind of a gimme, basically. That that, that Tom can go, they can, Tom can have as bad a season as he wants in twenty twenty two. He's fine as far as you know, fans and every and administrators and everybody else. They're going to see that for what it is. That it was just, it was a down cycle. Basically, Indiana can't be good all the time. They have to be able to build. They they're, they're not going to be you know, they're not going to stay at that level forever. Basically, when when they get a really good class of players that moves on they're you know that basically that they're going to fall off for a while and they're going to have to build back up but that would have been sort of understood that he would go into 2022 with that understanding that you know it's that they're going to hit a bump in the road here this is just how it goes and you know look at everything he did the last three years so you know you can't hold this against them this is just how it happens you're in you're indiana you're not michigan you're not ohio state um and it would have been nothing um but he he's not gonna he's not on the hot seat in the sense of like they're not firing him after this year no way no how but he's closer to it than he would have been if last year went even remotely well um because again they missed the mark so bad um you know to go from preseason top 25 first time in 50 years to um you know to to two and ten to not winning a big 10 game uh, that, that gets you much closer to the hot seat a lot faster. So it, it, it is the type of season that, that can ruin that because this year will, if, if it doesn't, if it goes the way I still suspect it won't go as it will go is that they won't make a bowl game. Um, you know, whether, whether they're, I mean, five and seven, they might be able to help themselves if they're four and eight or worse, you know, he's, he's not going to get fired, but it's like, okay, well, what, what is going to take for them to get the momentum back? They're obviously they've obviously got some really talented players in camp. Being able to sign the the class they got in 2022 really really helps. Um, but you're going to see you're seeing some level of recruiting momentum stall out right now. Um, obviously, as you wrote this week, um, there's you know it's going to be a small class for roster reasons. So there's a reason why they only got six guys, but you know they don't have any four star players out of those six. And you know if 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 they don't get much out of this class. You know, then if they have another bad year and it's four and eight and they're taking a four and eight on the recruiting trail next year, they're going to have a hard time recruiting then. Uh, then you you risk the possibility of that cycle dragging you under. Um, and and that's that's the situation where Tom Allen finds himself in. It, it is again this year. I would have thought it would be down cycle anyway. But the problem is when you don't capitalize when you have the guys like they failed to last year. Again, a lot of them got hurt and there's a piece of that, too. Um, but when you, we have that many talented veteran players, you don't win and you fall that short of your mark, uh, that puts you behind, behind the change and it chains. And that's a difficult situation. No, that's fair. And again, like something, something Doug said, and, and I'm ripping off his podcast now, but something he said when, when we were podcasting, just, uh, talking about kind of Indiana from the Ohio state perspective, is he said, you know, from. From the outside, and, and we'll finish with this. I want your thoughts on this, and then we'll, we'll close this one down, but we'll be back after media day, obviously. From the outside looking in, when you get to this point and a coach is making staff changes and there's lots of roster turnover and all those different kinds of things, normally that is – that's that's not a good sign. That That's kind of the – you know, the, that's that's the, the sign of the coming storm of, of a coach maybe entering, you know, a, a – a, 
a spiral that he, you know, or a program entering a spiral that a coach cannot arrest um, before it leads to, you know, things like, like a change of, of leadership um, at the top end. But the, the one thing that occurred to me thinking about that, you know, Doug talking about that afterward, because I agree with him. I think that, I think that's fair, but I do also come back to Andy Staples point and I'm just ripping everyone else's thoughts now, but at least I'm giving them credit for them. Um, maybe this is just a little bit more of the calculus in college football these days, especially for a program like Indiana that is, is going to have to be more clever in the portal is perhaps going to have to be more ruthless at times, recognizing that it is never going to be as stayed or steadied as an Ohio state or, you know, I mean, to, to use it, it's, it's again, it's, it's big 10, you know, counterparts, Michigan, Penn state. Um, the, to some extent, you know, you, you may have to, you may have to be prepared for a little bit more of this more often. And therefore the job of the coach is still to figure out how to navigate the inevitable bumps that come at a place like Indiana. But the navigation process maybe is a little different if you understand what I'm saying now. And you don't, fans may not be quite as patient in some ways, but coaches also may not have to be quite as patient themselves. They may be able to, you know, to your point about Indiana's recruiting. I mean, I think they're going to take 15-ish guys in this class. They got six right now. You're also going to need to leave some spots open because I think Indiana is always going to be a team that wants to be active in the portal. So it, it, I think maybe there's also just an element of this where the mathematics of how you do this are changing. And the way Indiana has gone about this, some of it undeniably has just been, again, they were top-heavy last year with experienced guys a number of whom, you know, they weren't happy to see them leave, but it wasn't, it wasn't like no one had budgeted for the possibility that a lot of these guys would move on. They're probably even somewhere Indiana had some, have some tough conversations with them about moving on. Um, But some of this has definitely contributed to the fact that you did just put together a great recruiting class. And so you're going to want to give that class every opportunity to impact early. But I think some of it in a more like what will be sustained two, three, five years from now, especially if Tom Allen remains at Indiana and has success again, I think it will be a little bit of this offseason turnover and a little bit of this recognizing like the, the, the formulas changed a bit. And so now we've got to do it a little bit differently. And it seems more pronounced now because there's both uncertainty and frustration, but I'm not sure how different the formula would be if Indiana, if Indiana, go seven and five in 2022 and everyone says, well, that's good. You recovered. You got back to a bowl game. It's back on track. Not sure the formula would change an enormous amount anymore, because I think this is just kind of where college athletics is going. And I think we all just need to be, this is all a very, very long winded roundabout way of saying, I think we all just maybe need to be prepared for a little bit more of this uncertainty going forward than, than we used to be. I mean, I agree, but obviously the the turnover would have happened for different reasons, and that still matters. 
Um, I, I think obviously, you know, there have been guys who had moved on. There have been players who went to the NFL. Um, there would have been players who there have been coaches who moved into bigger jobs and didn't take lateral moves. Uh, I, I think that's a big piece to it, too. Yeah, there were, probably would have still been movement. There probably would have still been significant turnover and a lot of change and a bit of a reset anyway. But it, the the terms of departure uh, make a difference for, you know, just again, you know, for lack of a better term, just sort of the vibe that the program carries on. Um, and, and that makes a difference in recruiting. Um, it, it makes a difference in a lot of other places. It makes a difference in how the fans are taking it in. Um, but it makes a difference in, in terms of recruiting. It makes a difference in terms of what's going on within the locker room. Uh, how, you know, basically what, whether you're looking at trying to maintain something that worked well or flip around and trying to find out something new that does because obviously this thing didn't. Um, so I, a movement does not by itself mean failure to your point that doesn't mean that something's wrong in and of itself and they're probably they might have won and still had a significant amount of movement and there's you know again there's just more opportunity for it um because of you know the portal and everything about that um and there's always movement among coaches because the whole point of being a, an assistant coach is to move up and one day become a head coach um but you know it's it's the you know the, the terms by which those departures were made still change what they're dealing with and um, you know, again, again, like there, there, there is going to be like, you are going to have to say, okay, well, just because you had this many guys transferred, that doesn't in itself mean things are bad. Um, but the fact that they had so many guys leave this team, um, does have something to do with the fact they were two and 10. And again, like the, no matter what you're talking about, as far as where this program's at, you can't dismiss two and 10 as being a factor in that. Ultimately, it'll all be contextualized by what comes next. Um, again, Big Ten Media Day, Indiana takes its turn Tuesday, the 26th. Uh, Dustin and I will obviously both be there. We'll also hear from Kevin Warren that day. I do wonder if we'll hear something on that media rights deal around Media Day next week. If not, you know, if it's not possible, it's not possible. But that's the sort of thing, if you're Kevin Warren, you would love to walk up uh, to the dais uh, able to talk about in, in great detail. Um, but for now, for the Indianapolis Star, for the Bloomington Herald Times, for Dustin DePirac, I'm Zach Osterman. This has been Mind Your Banners. Thank you so much for listening, and we will be back very soon. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.